Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I want to say something, and I recognize that what I am about to say may offend some of you. Some of you may look at me differently. Some of you may judge me. So ask, please don't judge me too much, but I I just have to say it. So here we go. I am one of those people who actually enjoys jury duty. I know, I know. Some of you are so far the opposite, I know. But I actually do enjoy that. And as I was preparing this message and going over the scripture for today, it reminded me of a time I was called up for jury duty in 2016. And I I was excited because I love crime thrillers. I love mystery and courtroom dramas. And so you can imagine my excitement when I got the invitation to be on a jury. And I anxiously, I anxiously awaited the day and I showed up to the courthouse early. That's when I found out it was a pretty high profile criminal case. And I'm like, all right. And I found out I was potential juror number 93. Mm. I'm like, great. There is no way I'm ever going to be on this jury. There's 92 people in front of me. And I'm sure every single one of them really wants this. Ah, Well, person after person goes forward to be interviewed and person after person gave their excuses as to why they should not be on jury duty. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. So finally, my name was called and I go up there. They ask me some questions. Next thing you know, I'm in. And I was so intrigued with every aspect of this. I was diligently taking notes the whole time. The trial lasted for two weeks And so every day I was there taking notes, witness after witness came forward, gave their testimony. I remember tables set up front that held all of the evidence. There was a lot going on and I was so interested in every aspect. However, it did get a little difficult towards the end when they finally brought the accused, the defendant to the stand. And that honestly was a little hard to witness. Because the defense team, they did a fantastic job and their job was to try to help humanize the person for us. And they kept, they kept reiterating the fact that this was a good person and they don't deserve what's happening to them. They really wanted us to know that. And then the prosecution team gets up and they just try to destroy the credit of this person. And it was a little hard to watch, to be honest. At the end of the trial, uh, before we were to go and deliberate on whether or not this person was guilty, each team had the chance to give their closing arguments. The defense attorneys, they kept reiterating the fact that this was a good person. They don't deserve this. They should not even be here. However, I will never forget what the prosecutor said. The prosecutor said, the defense attorneys keep telling you what a good person this is. And maybe they have done good things. But that does not excuse the fact that the law was broken. And according to the testimonies and the evidence presented before you, this person is guilty and justice must be served. He was right. He was right. According to everything presented, the person was guilty and needed to be held accountable. This is sort of a theme to our uh, talk today. And Romans chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can meet me there in Romans chapter 3. If not, the scripture will be on the screen. 
We are continuing our series going through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And we're looking at some of the major highlights and themes of this letter. And I love studying the letter of Romans. So today we will be in Romans chapter 3. However, we'll kind of be all over the place in the chapter, looking at many different areas. But I want to start us off today by reading chapter 3, starting in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What we're going to do today is really echo a a song that we sing often around here, a song that says, Jesus Christ is my living hope. And so today, as we look at this letter, what we can see in Romans in the first parts is kind of this common theme of hypocrisy that is taking place in this church. And Paul is calling this out. Now, hypocrisy isn't failing to live up to a certain standard but rather me doing something wrong in my life and turning around and condemning you for doing the exact same thing. In other words, it's me condemning you for what I overlook in myself. And so this is what's taking place in this church and Paul is calling them out on it. He's actually using self-righteous Jews as the example of hypocrisy. Because for many of these Jews, they believed that since they were God's chosen people, And they were, in fact, God's chosen people. The Bible is clear about that. But many of them believed that since they were God's chosen people, that they were somehow exempt from living a life of obedience to God's instructions or to God's law. And Paul is calling this out. We actually see this in chapter 2 of Romans. We're going to read just a little bit of that. Romans chapter 2, and let's start in verse 17. Now, this is Paul talking to the Jews of this church. He says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You who teach, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And that, friends, is the danger of hypocrisy within the Christian faith, right? I mean, we, we say we have faith in God we, and his righteousness in our life, but yet we don't live any different than the rest of the world. This is what is happening in this church, and Paul is calling them out on this. This is why Paul said the words, he says, other nations, other people insult God because of you, because of your hypocrisy, because of your very poor testimony, And he spends time in chapters two talking about this because this was a problem. Because for so many of the Jews, they were putting their confidence when it came to their relationship with God, when it came to their standing with God, they were putting their confidence 
and their heritage as God's chosen people, which gave them this special relationship with God. And so Paul is having to call them out on this. Paul is having to instruct them of where they've gone wrong because so many of them were living in this way. And they were, in fact, God's chosen people. The Bible is clear about that. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses states in uh, chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, Moses says, for you are a people, he's talking to the people of Israel, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So they were God's chosen people. Now, what we have to understand is why they were God's chosen people. You see, because from eternity past, literally from eternity past, God knew he would need to send a Messiah. Let me say it like this. God knew he would need to send a savior into the world to save us from our sin. The sin that separates us from God, the sin that severs our intimacy with God. And so this is why we see in the Old Testament how God created how God distinguished and how God um, uh, preserved the Jewish people so that when the time was right, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the savior of the world would come into the world through them. And the big part of how he established and distinguished them was by giving them the law, which caused them to a higher standard of living. Now, the law, if you don't know, or Torah, as it's known to the Jewish people, it consists of the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we don't have time today to talk in great detail about the law, except to say this, and this is so simplistic. What it was, it was a very specific part of the word of God given to Moses by God that contained a comprehensive set of guidelines so that the behavior of the Jewish people would not just be different from the rest of the world, but that their behavior would reflect their status as God's chosen people. In other words, the law was given to them to help set them apart as God's people. However, in the end, many of them were putting their confidence in their heritage as God's people, regardless of their attitude towards the law and regardless of whether or not they were even obedient to the law. Now, when we read chapter 3, and Paul is, Paul is instructing them about this, he's, he's calling out some of the problems in this church about this. One of the main themes we can see in Romans chapter 3 and what Paul is trying to get across to everyone would be this, that no one, no one on their own stands right before God because of sin. No one, no excuses. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 actually says, What shall we conclude then? He's talking to the Jewish people, remember? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, so this is for all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. What we have to understand about chapter 3 of Romans is that everyone, everyone stands guilty before God because of sin. And I mean everyone from the most reprobate sinner you can think of to the most moral and upright law keeper you can think of. Everyone, based on their own merit, stands guilty before God because of sin. This is the human condition. This is, so we're going to look at two major themes in Romans chapter 3 today. Two major themes Paul is pointing out. And the first is just that. This is the human condition. The human condition is sin. 
That's the condition within every single one of us. See, what we have to understand about Romans chapter 3, this is what Paul is pointing out. The human condition is, in fact, sin. If there is really one message or one singular sentence that could help summarize what Paul is trying to convey to us, it'd probably come down to these four words. No one is good. No one is good. Now, that can be a difficult message for a lot of us to hear, including myself. Because most of us probably weren't raised with the idea and with the belief that no one is good, that we're not good. Right? We live in a world that celebrates everything as good, that applauds everything as good. A question you hear often is, why does God allow bad things to happen to what? Good people. But there's really a flaw within that question because according to scripture, no one is really good. There's no one who's really good. Now, can we do good things in our life? Yeah, yeah. Do we, can we have good qualities or attributes? Uh, can good come out of everyone's life? Yes, of course. But fundamentally, the message of scripture is that there is no one who's really good. And Paul is driving this home Paul is driving this home. In fact, he continues in verse 10 to speak a lot of this. In verse 10 of chapter uh, 3, Paul says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, y'all didn't know this was going to be a feel-good message today, did you? Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. Paul keeps driving this home. Keeps driving this home, driving this home. No one is good. He keeps driving this home enough to where like we're probably even thinking, okay, we get it. But he keeps driving the home. Why? Because we have to fully understand this diagnose. The diagnosis, we are all sinners. And church, you have to fully understand the diagnose before you can fully appreciate the cure. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But Paul, he just keeps driving this home, driving this home. I really hope... I really hope that everyone listening to me today, whether in person or watching online, I hope everyone can understand just how desperately crucial it is we see this truth. We are all sinners. Okay, that's the one thing we all have in common. Too often I think that people on the outside of the church believe that the message of the church is something like this. All of you on the outside... All of you who are not one of us, you're all sinners and you're going to hell. When actually the message of the church should be, listen everyone everywhere. We are all sinners. And if we die that way, if we do not accept the gift and the grace of God, 
If we die that way, we're all going to hell. That's the human condition. And no amount of good works or your family heritage is going to change that. Because really, on our own, no one is any better than anyone else. Now, I can just imagine someone hearing me say that and they're like, oh, hold on. Hold on, Jacob, you had me up till then. No one is really any better than anyone else. Let's think about this, because in contrast to everyone else, I have never done this, 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 or this, and you're naming off all of the really horrific, perverse, and vile things that you yourself have never done, but know of others who have. Well, yeah, I can make that list too, so can any one of you. But the reality is, my list won't make the bad things I have done go away. And neither will yours. When I say bad things, I mean bad thoughts, bad attitudes, bad actions, bad deeds. Friends, the Bible is crystal clear that no one is right before God because of sin. And we are all accountable for ourselves. And in front of a holy, righteous, and just God, on our own, we have no hope. This is the human condition. I read a story not too long ago about a teacher and a preacher in the early 1900s, a man by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who he was actually very effective when it came to sharing the gospel. In fact, he was one of the pioneers of this method. He would use what he calls diagnostic questions to help determine where a person was at in their spiritual life. And according to how they answer those questions, he would then know how to minister to them. So the first thing he would do when he met someone is he would try to determine whether or not they are a Christian. So he would just write and ask them up front, are you born again? Now, we don't use that term a whole lot on a practical level today, the idea of being born again, even though it's taken directly from Scripture. If you read John chapter 3, you'll see a conversation Jesus has with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And it's all about this idea, this reality of being born again. So it's taken straight from scripture and that's what he would ask people. He says, are you born again? And if a person could give a clear cut testimony to being born again, well then he would then go on to minister to them from that perspective. But if a person could not give a testimony to the reality of being born again in Christ, he would then go on to say this to them. He would ask him this question. He would say, suppose you and I should go out of this building And a swerving automobile should come up on the sidewalk and kill the two of us. And the next moment we would be what men call dead. We brush aside that absurd folly that we're going to meet St. Peter at the gate of heaven because that only exists in jokes. We are going to meet God. Now suppose in that moment of ultimate reckoning, God should say to you, what right? Emphasis on the word right. What right do you have to come into my heaven? What would be your answer? What would be your answer? In his encounters, Barnhouse said there was really only three answers that were given to that question. The first is this. I've been good enough. I've I've been good enough. I've lived a good enough life. Not perfect, but good enough to where at the end of my life, when you weigh the scales, I believe my good outweighs my bad. So because I'm good enough. Now, when they gave that answer to Barnhouse, he would then reply by quoting Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, 
which says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. This word justified comes from the word justification, which means to be made right, to be made right. So know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be made right. You see, Barnhouse had this passion, this desire for helping people realize that no amount of good works can can satisfy God's perfect standard for righteousness. No one will ever be good enough to have the right to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's an illustration that many preachers have used over the years. It's an oldie but a goodie, but I want us to imagine this. Imagine that we take every person in the United States and you line them up across the coast of California and you give to them this one instruction, swim to Hawaii, swim to Hawaii. Now it's approximately 2,500 miles from the coast of California to the Hawaiian islands. I looked up and there's a man by the name of Pablo Fernandez, who he is actually the Guinness book world record holder for long distance ocean swim. And he was able to actually swim 155 miles. I think we all can agree that's impressive. 155 miles. I think we all could also agree that 155 miles and 2,500 miles in the ocean, that feels like light years apart. Like, I'm sorry, you line me up on the coast of California and say swim to Hawaii. I'm not swimming 150 miles. I can maybe, maybe swim 150 yards. Some of you laugh, but you probably couldn't make it that far. I'm just kidding. I said maybe I could make it that far. But the silliest part about this illustration is, imagine you're out there in the ocean with all of these people thrashing around in the water. Your arms are getting tired. Your legs are getting tired. You're, you're exhausted. Just when it seems like all hope is gone, up alongside you comes a cruise ship. And the captain gets on the loudspeaker and he says, free trip to Hawaii for everyone. Now, in that moment, you ask yourself the question, who would be saved from the water? Only those who could admit that they can't make it to Hawaii on their own. And only those who would accept the free invitation of the captain. And how foolish, how foolish would it be for someone in that situation to turn around to the captain and say, you know, I think I'm getting my second wind. Yeah, I I think I'm good. I think I'm going to pass on that. That would be foolish. But church, that's the reality of those who believe that when they stand before God Almighty, that the answer to the question, what right do you have to enter the kingdom of heaven, will be because I'm good enough. Because I'm good enough to do this on my own. No one is. That's foolishness. The second answer that would be given to the question would be this. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to say. Barnhouse explained uh, that one summer he took a trip from America um, over to Europe across the Atlantic on a passenger ship. That first Sunday he gathered all of the uh, people who were interested and he held a Sunday service for them. And he preached to them and he said it actually went very well. Several fruitful conversations came out of this. 
including one with a woman who was pretty well educated. She was a professor of languages at an Eastern university. And so after talking with her for a while, he eventually asked her this question. He said, suppose this ship carrying you and I would suffer some major catastrophe and we would sink to the bottom of the ocean and we would die. In those next moments, you are standing before God. Suppose God asked you a question, what right do you have to enter my heaven? What would you say? Barnhouse said she thought for a moment. She eventually said, well, I don't think I would say anything. Barnhouse then replied to her, you may not know this, but you're actually referring to Romans chapter 3, verse 19. She didn't know what he meant, so he pulled out the scripture and read to her this verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. He explained to her that while in that moment she may have thought it was her decision to not say anything, that's really not the case. The reality is she wouldn't be able to say anything. Because at the judgment of God, there is no justification that can be given. There is no good works that can be offered as grounds for entrance into heaven. At the judgment, mouths will be silenced because all will know that as they stand before a holy, righteous, and just God, that they are guilty of sin and deserve God's just condemnation. So often we make the mistake, I am so guilty of this, but so often we make the mistake of thinking that God somehow exists on the same level that we do. That he somehow plays by the same rules that we do. What we so often fail to recognize is that our sovereign God, the creator and sustainer of all things, that he exists on a plane and lives on a plane in the universe that is so far beyond our human nature, so far beyond our complete understanding. We don't completely comprehend this side of heaven, just the majesty of who he is. You know, when you think about being judged in a human court of law, you appear before your peers. You appear before people who are like you. And because of that, you're able to give your excuses for bad behavior. You're able to justify your actions. You're able to give your story. And because all have sinned and no one is really better than anyone else, they can end up excusing bad behavior. But before the judgment of God, there is no justification that can be given, no excuse that can be made, nothing that is good enough as you stand before the majesty of God who is so far beyond our human nature. Now, the third answer to the question, the correct answer, the only right answer to the question, what right do you have to enter heaven? That would be this. Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Because I know that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is my living hope. Having the privilege of entering the kingdom of heaven upon our death will have nothing to do with any good thing we could ever do or have ever done. But it will be solely through what Jesus Christ did for us 
on the cross and whether or not we have surrendered our life to him in complete faith and trust. There is no amount of good works or your heritage that would ever be enough. See, this is the cure to the human condition. This is the second theme we see from this chapter and what Paul is trying to point out. The human condition is sin and the cure to the human condition can only be found in the grace of God. Because of what he did, that is the cure to the human condition. The only opportunity great sinners like you and I will ever have to spend eternity with God in heaven will be based on what Jesus did when he went to the cross pay the penalty for our sin and you're in my place. He died and then, praise God, he arose, ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God making intercession for you and for me. And no amount of good works will ever be enough. There are no church rituals that you could do that would ever be enough. It doesn't matter how religious your upbringing was or how religious your family heritage is. What we have to understand and what we have to share with the world is that only God has provided the solution to the human condition. And make no mistake, the enemy is going to try to use everything he can, your past, your mistakes, to try to keep you from that promise, to try to keep you from that truth, to try and distract you. I like how um, Pastor... Uh, Darwin Grace says this. I want us to imagine real quick that we're in a court of law and you are on trial. God Almighty is your judge. You are standing before him. And the accuser, well, that's Satan. That's who Satan is. He's the accuser. And in my mind, I imagine he's probably wearing this fancy Armani suit with the gold cufflinks. And he is talking to the judge and he is demanding justice for every wrong thing you have ever done. He's saying, judge, I demand justice for what they have done and looky what I have. I have a list of their sins. I've got them right here. This will prove they're guilty. I've got a list of everything they have ever done. Now this is a list. Mine would probably be a scroll from here to Cincinnati. He says, looky, I'm gonna read this off for you. He goes, God, listen up. Listen up. Well, first off, they were born in the sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Second, oh, look at this. Greed, lust, anger, hatred, violence, slander, cheating. And the list just goes on and on and on for hours. And you're just sitting there thinking, oh, my word, I'm done. I'm done. Where's my defense? Then in a holy hush. The courtroom doors swing open and in walks your defense. He's probably not wearing the Armani suit. No, no, this guy, he has holes in his hands and in his feet, a hole in his side. He's wearing a crown on his head. He walks up and he says, hey, dad, dad, let me see that. Let me see this. Yep, 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 they did that. Did it, did it, did it. Yeah, they're guilty. But hey, I've got good news. I've got good news. I've already paid for that. The debt is settled. It's done. I paid for this. When Christ was on the cross, he said it is finished, which means the debt is paid in full. And at that moment, God's perfect, holy and just, God's perfect need for justice was satisfied. When Christ says it is finished, 
it was done. Church, this means we don't have to spend our life wondering and hoping that Christ will pay the penalty for our sin. It's already been done. It's already, that's not enough to get a church excited. I don't know what is. That's the grace of God. The picture is clear. There is the solution to the human condition. There is the grace of God for you. It is perfect. It's holy. It's loving. We're undeserving. I want us to read our original text one final time. Chapter 21. But now. It's Paul's right there. But now. Those are beautifully transitioning words. Because everything before this talks just about how wicked of sinners we are. How we are hypocrites. How we fall short of the glory of God. Of how, how much of sinners we are. Everything before this, up to, up to verse 20, it's like, man, we're awful people. Yes, we deserve God's just condemnation. But he doesn't end there. Verse 21, but now. Oh, that's beautiful. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Aren't you glad he doesn't end there? It continues. And all are justified. All are made right freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's beautiful. What Paul is saying here, what Paul is pointing out to us is that if anybody in your life, Anybody ever ask you the question, what right do you have to enter the kingdom of heaven? Friends, you have the answer. You have the answer. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. It is by his grace. Jesus has provided the cure to our human condition through what he did on the cross. It's not through anything we could ever do, but through what he has done. Oh, what a relief that is to know it's through nothing we could ever do. And I love how every week we choose to remind ourselves of what Christ has done through our communion. If you have your elements, please take those out. As I pull out the wafer, the bread that represents his body. Oh, I can't help but think of how we all have failed to live completely righteous lives. And because of that, we all deserve an eternity of complete separation from God. But now, by his grace, God sent his son and his son's perfect body was broken so that we can be made whole. That's how much his love goes for us. Let's take that. 
now as we look to the juice, which represents the blood of Christ. Every time I do this, I picture my beautiful Savior on the cross in my place. I picture the blood that came from his hands and his feet where the nails are, from his head where the crown of thorns was, from his body that was brutally beaten. I heard a preacher say one time, it wasn't just beaten, his body was literally shredded. Such a gruesome thing to think of. His body was shredded. But I want us to think about this. Remember earlier when I told you the story about the man in the courtroom and the defense attorneys would say, this is a good person and they don't deserve it. But the fact is, the person did sin. But they kept saying, this was a good person. They don't deserve this. Yeah, we do. But Jesus was the ultimate example of a good person. And he did not deserve that. He did not deserve everything he went through. But God's love is so great. He said, no, we're doing this anyways for you. And that's what we remember every time we partake. We sang a beautiful song earlier. Just absolutely beautiful. A song that says what he's done. It's a song of remembrance for what Jesus did for us. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read to you the lyrics of that song. I'm going to ask, please, that we just sit quietly. And I'm going to ask that you picture your Savior on the cross. I'm going to ask you to think about what he's done. I want you to remember the nails that was pierced through his hands, through his feet, the crown of thorns. I want us to remember that his body was shredded for us. I'm going to read these lyrics. Please think of our Savior as I read these. Verse 1 says, See on a hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look, look at the wounds that give me life. Grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice. doesn't end there but now verse 2 sing for the freedom he has won his death is dead and done his life is overcome speak say the name above all names over every broken place (laughs) he is risen from the grave Now on the throne of majesty, the Father's will complete. He reigns in victory. I'll sing hallelujah to the King. He is worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. For what he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.